Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome, everybody, to Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, and just to start things right off the bat, hopefully you had a fun, happy, healthy, safe 4th of July weekend. A lot of people are still observing the holiday today being Monday, although it was yesterday being Sunday. A lot of workplaces are kind of doing that, giving people the day off today since the 4th of July did occur over the weekend, so... uh, Bless up to all those companies giving their hard-earned workers a nice day off. If you're taking the day off just because, then good for you as well. But hopefully people all across, not just the New England area, not just like the Rhode Island and the Massachusetts area, everyone in the country was able to have a great, happy, healthy, safe, and awesome 4th of July weekend. And I guess if you're still celebrating today, then all the power to you. We do have a lot of Red Sox stuff to dive into first before we do. I do want to thank you for downloading, listening, and enjoying today's episode, episode number 71. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe if you're new or haven't considered subscribing yet. That would be greatly appreciated. And with all the pleasantries out of the way, we're just bang, 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 right? We're just going to do this real fast. With all the pleasantries out of the way, we have received news of the official all-star team for both the American and the National Leagues, respectively. Quite frankly, a lot of players on there I was a little surprised about. Some players, easy shoe-ins. But we're just going to focus on the Red Sox players, of course. And going into, I guess, Thursday when the rosters were announced, we already knew that Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers were going to start at shortstop and third base, respectively. We knew that. They deserved it. The first pair of shortstop and third baseman to ever start in the same All-Star game for the Boston Red Sox in their entire history, which is pretty freaking awesome. They will be representing, of course, the beloved Red Sox. And we have three more Boston Red Sox players that were announced to the All-Star team on Thursday for the All-Star game to take place. Not next, or not this week, I guess, but the week after that. And those players are J.D. Martinez, Nathan Eovaldi, and Matt Barnes. Very interesting. Very interesting to see Nathan Eovaldi get it. Matt Barnes, I kind of expected him to do so. He's having a career year. And J.D. Martinez as well, basically being the second best designated hitter in the league behind Shohei Otani, who's doing a lot of his damage. Also pitching, but being in the lineup as a hitter as well, hitting like leadoff or second or cleanup, whatever it may be for the Angels lineup. So, like I said, we already knew Bogart's endeavors were going to start and represent the Red Sox in Colorado this year for the Midsummer Classic. And with J.D. Martinez being selected, this is his fourth All-Star team and his third since joining the Red Sox. The 33-year-old is a reserve DH for the American League this year. He is batting 303 with 17 home runs, 56 RBIs, and a 553 slugging percentage. If it wasn't for Shohei Otani, have it a monster monster season hitting the ball we'll just put the pitching piece of it aside for now but just hitting the ball JD Martinez probably would have been the starter for the DH I would assume but when you have Shohei Otani hitting 30 home runs regardless if he's pitching or the right fielder that day or a DH it's kind of hard to pass that up right I mean just look at JD Martinez a couple years ago he won the silver slugger award for DH and uh, right field or was it left field or do they just do outfield? I think they just do outfield. I think it's just outfield. Anyways, nonetheless, I'm getting sidetracked. 
Nathan Eovaldi's 31, been named to his first All-Star team. In 17 starts, he is 9-4 and four with a team best, a team best ERA of 3.41. I'll take it. And among Boston's starting pitchers, he has 90 strikeouts and also a team high 97 and two-thirds innings pitched. At the beginning of the season, at the beginning of the season, I think it was in March, I did some over-unders where it was like, you know, over-under the Red Sox win total, over-under Xander Bogart's home runs, J.D. Martinez average, whatever, right? One of them was wins for Nathan Eovaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez. And Nathan Eovaldi's over-under win total was nine wins. And at the All-Star break, he's at nine wins. So I won that bet. And quite frankly, the one of the major reasons why I made that that bet. Well, I mean, I didn't physically bet, but like you know, on the podcast talking about it, I made the bet. You know what I'm saying? Is because with Chris Sale down, and you didn't know what you're going to get with Eduardo Rodriguez at the time, coming off of his, you know, heart implications from COVID, he had to get more than nine wins in order for the Red Sox to have any chance of being successful in the American League East. So to see him get it at the All Star break, that's absolutely fantastic. 15 or 16 or so is definitely within range. Something that he should be able to get to if he keeps pitching the way that he does. little uh, shocked about him getting the nod here, but you know what? I will take it. Well-deserving nonetheless. And then Matt Barnes, also a first-time All-Star. He's having a career year that I mentioned a little bit ago. An absolute phenomenal season. Being the Red Sox full-time closer now that Craig Kimball's been gone for a couple years, Matt Barnes is looking as good as ever. He's currently 4-2 with a 2.68 ERA and 62 strikeouts in 37 innings pitched. Almost two strikeouts an inning. Almost. Absolutely fantastic. He has converted 19 of 23 save opportunities, and that is second most saves in the American League. I think four blown saves, though, is a little much. But, I mean, when you look at everything else, it's really hard to beat all of that. So, well-deserving for Matt Barnes, not just his ERA, but his strikeouts per innings pitch. And then, of course, having the second most saves in the American League, helping the Red Sox obtain first place going into the Midsummer Classic, which isn't, like I said, this week, but it is next week. Well-deserving for all five Boston Red Sox representing your team in the Midsummer Classic this year at Coors Field in Colorado. And with the All-Star game being in Colorado, I do want to jump to other, other years All-Star games. Not past years, but I want to look ahead. And looking ahead, obviously, we have this one, 2021 being at Coors Field. 2022 will be at Dodger Stadium. The All-Star game was supposed to be at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles last year in 2020. But due to the COVID-shortened season, they moved it to 2022. But years after that, are unknown 2023 2024 2025 and we do know about 2026 it is at philadelphia at citizens bank park and i was kind of confused like that that made no sense to me at the time but when you look into it it's because it will be the 250th anniversary of the declaration of independence being signed obviously it was signed and in philadelphia so the All-Star Game will be in Philadelphia at Citizens Bank Park in 2026 to celebrate the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence being signed. It would be really, really cool. It would be awesome. I think everybody in baseball would love it if the All-Star Game was on the 4th of July. I don't know. Uh, how do I jump? I want to get to 2026. I want to see when the 4th of July is that year. It's a Monday in 2026, so it could it could work. You would just probably have to start the season a week earlier, and I feel like to have the game's festivities that day shouldn't be all too much of a problem, right? But the reason why I bring this up, why Dodger Stadium's next year, why Citizens Bank Park is 2026, is because there's three years, 2023, 2024, and 2025, that have yet to be determined. And I've sat here before and I've preached, I've cried for Fenway Park to host one of those years. And they could. I strongly believe that they could. But I'm not going to sit here and say that. I want to look at other potential parks that we could see have the both the, both the home run derby 
and the All-Star Game, which obviously because, you know, one stadium gets both. It gets the, the All-Star Week festivities being the Rising Star Game, Home Run Derby. Um, well, I can't think of the All-Star Game and then the Celebrity Softball Game. So what other potential stadiums, fields, ballparks, and cities could we see the next three 2023, 2024, and the 2025 All-Star Game be. I'm going to exclude Fenway from this conversation because obviously I would be like, oh, Fenway could be any of those three years and it'll be freaking awesome. Yes, that's true. But let's have a little diversity in this episode, shall we? So with three years being vacant between 23-4 and 2025, I will mention three potential cities that I feel would be a great fit to host those All-Star Games. I don't really care what year it is, whether it's Stadium A hosts 23, 24, or 25, or if it's Stadium B hosting 20, it doesn't matter. These are just three locations, three cities, three teams, three stadiums that I feel and believe could be a very valuable host city or a very cool, awesome, you know, exciting host city. And I do strongly believe that although... The Atlanta Braves lost the All-Star game this past year due to the voting right restrictions in the state of Georgia. I do feel that Atlanta will get another All-Star game fairly, fairly soon, whether it's 23, 24, or 2025. I do feel like one of them will head back. One of them will host Atlanta, having Atlanta getting back the All-Star game. I don't think they're just going to completely forget about Atlanta They had a lot of high hopes for the Atlanta Braves hosting Truist Park being a fairly new stadium and also the city of Atlanta being able to prosper and thrive with having the All-Star game there where they were going to really kind of ramp up and fix up the city to make it much more nicer, appealing and, you know, sexy, I guess, per se. So Atlanta hasn't hosted the All-Star game since 2000 and before that 1972, and they planned on doing it in 2021. But although it was lifted due to the voting right restrictions in the state of Georgia, I do feel like 2023, 4, or 2025 will be a good spot for the uh, All-Star Game, the Midsummer Classic, to come back to Atlanta. So Atlanta is going to be, uh, I guess it's not no order, no top three or whatever, it's just one, all right? Atlanta is one of the cities that I feel would be a good fit for the All-Star Game. The second one, I'm kind of on the fence about. I would guess would have to say Baltimore in this situation. And there's a couple other ones that I guess could probably be past Baltimore. And I'm trying not to look at it as teams that has gone the longest drought because you see, you know, Arlington or Texas, you know, they haven't had it since 95. Toronto hasn't had it since 91. Oakland since 87. But I mean, you know, Texas has a new stadium, so maybe that could work. It's a retractable roof stadium, so that could work. Toronto retractable roof, so that could work. But are those cities kind of like, mm? like not that Baltimore isn't, but if you look at it from a, a marketing perspective, I feel like you can market those cities a little bit better. And I feel like Baltimore is kind of in the same boat as Atlanta, where the All-Star game would do a lot of good for the physical city that it's, that it's in, in Baltimore, where it would kind of fix it up, ramp it up, make it look nice. And for all the, you know, the guests coming across the country and across the world for the games, so I feel like, and Baltimore is a nice stadium itself. It really is. Candom Yards is a beautiful, beautiful stadium. And I really feel like that it has a lot to show, whether it's a casual fan, a hardcore fan, or just, you know, a fan in general. I mean, it's a very nice stadium. And I think it'd be a good spot to host an all-star game in the near future. The third stadium I want to talk about, and I kind of feel bad. So I'm going to, I guess, not an honorable mention, but one that I am leaving off is St. Petersburg and Tampa Bay because you guys know how I feel about that stadium. That's garbage. It's so garbage. And in college, when I was a sport manager major, I did a project about the Tampa Bay Rays having to either relocate or build a new stadium just because of, you know, fans, uh, you know, money income, money outcome. It's just like, was it really worth to have that, you know, old stadium? Like, the city of Tampa built that stadium before they got the Tampa, uh, at the time, the Devil Rays. I think the stadium was built in like 91 or 93, hoping to finally get a baseball team, and then it didn't get one until 98. So, 
I don't. It's just a hardcore dome. Those are obviously a thing of the past. It just looks ugly. The upper third level is always tarped off, even during the playoffs. So it's like, it just doesn't make any sense, and they need to make it attractive. I mean, they're in the state of Florida. I understand that it's hot most of the time down there, but you got to use that to your advantage. You know, make a retractable dome if you really want to. Put the stadium on the water where you can see the ocean. You know, out in left field or across the whole outfield for all I care about. Make like a little splash zone, splash zone like you see in Pittsburgh or in San Francisco where their stadiums are on the water. Do something like that. Make it more interactive. I mean, I've been there. I was there in 2007, I believe, for a three-game series between the Red Sox and at the time the Devil Rays with my dad. It's nothing pretty at all. It's really not. You just walk into a dome, it's, you know, the AC's on, and that's it. I mean, you go to any other stadium these days, and they have, you know, one, you know, piece of attraction to it, like Fenway, the Green Monster, Yankee Stadium, maybe not the new one, but the old one, you know, how historic, you know, the house that Ruth built, you know, St. Louis, you can see the arch in the background, in Pittsburgh, you can see the Allegheny Bridge, or the Allegheny River, whatever it is out there in Pittsburgh, like Baltimore, it has the the warehouse building in right field where I think the the you know the, the management offices for the Baltimore Orioles. I think that's there. So I, I just I can't see Major League Baseball putting an All Star game there because of the lack of appeal that that stadium has. So unfortunately, I'm gonna have to leave them off the list. And with that being said, the third and final city ballpark team. To host an all-star break, uh, all-star break, all-star game. It doesn't have to be here, but just hear my idea. Montreal, okay? Now, I say that preceding the fact that it doesn't have to be in Montreal, but currently Montreal doesn't have a team. And a lot of people are saying like, oh, bring the Expos back, bring the Expos back, move the race to Montreal, bring the Expos back. You know, have a team expand and the 31st team can be in Montreal. Okay. Okay. And, there, you know, I've talked about on this podcast before. I've talked about it in YouTube videos before. Major League Baseball expanding, relocating, yada, yada, yada. How about put the game, the All-Star game, in a city that doesn't have a professional team right now? So, obviously, you're not going to put it in the middle of Bumshitsville, middle of nowhere. But, like, a prospect city like Portland or Montreal or, you know, Mexico or Puerto Rico, you know, Norfolk, Virginia, Las Vegas. Put it in a prospect city where you think and you feel that a Major League Baseball team could go and see how it does with the All-Star game. Does a lot of people show up? You know, is a lot of ticket sales being made? How about, you know, jersey marketing? Like, how about that? Do something like that. Like I said, it doesn't have to be Montreal. I'm just, you know, I'm looking at a list of, you know, various cities that has hosted before. And the Expos did host the All-Star Game in 1982. So, the uh, Olympic Stadium is still up in Montreal, I believe. So, you could go there. I don't know if there's any other stadiums out there or not. But like I said, Vegas, Virginia, Montreal, Mexico City, Portland, Puerto Rico. These are some potential cities that we could see, or I guess cities and countries, let me let me be respectful, that we could see in all, like a professional baseball team if baseball was to ever relocate or expand and just test the waters. It's perfect because you look at football, they don't have, you know, their Pro Bowl at a stadium of a professional team that they currently have in their league. No, they did in Hawaii for umpteen years. They were just recently doing it in Orlando. I don't know where the hell it is now, but why not? Why not? I mean, and then I guess for their Super Bowl, they just pick a warm city or a dome and they just do that there. But that's completely different. I think that's a good idea. And you don't have to do it every single year because you're not, you know, considering expansion or relocation every single year. But I I think that'd be a great way to bring in a market, a population, a fan base in these areas that do not have a current baseball team out of the 30 in their area and see how it does. And then if it doesn't perform well, then you could potentially scratch that city or country off of the list of potential relocation and or expansion locations. I think that's a really good idea in my humble opinion. Like I said, Montreal, P- 
Portland, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Virginia, Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas is roaring right now with sports teams. The uh, Vegas Golden Knights, the Las Vegas Raiders just moved there. We could potentially see a basketball team there soon. Why not throw a baseball team there as well? You know, we hear that the uh, the Oakland Athletics, I think, took a trip to... Did they take a trip to Vegas? It was either Vegas or Portland that they took a trip to because the Oakland A's could be potentially relocating because of their little you know spite and feud with the city of Oakland. It would be quite interesting if baseball was to ever do this. Now, do I think they would do this? Probably not. I don't think they. I don't think they would ever do that. But that kind of gives the game a little spice, and you at a location where you're probably only going to see two events: the home run derby and the All Star game. And see what, you know, that atmosphere is like. Me, personally, I'm more apt to go out and buy a ticket or, you know, a vacation to go out there because it's not at a 30, one of the 30 baseball teams, cities. Like, I've always said, if the Red Sox ever host the All-Star game, I am going to that home run derby and I want monster seats. I don't care how much it costs. I want to be there. That is on my bucket list. That is something I want to do. And that's why, you know, I guess a little bit of a reason why I've been, you know, hoping and praying that like, oh, Fenway Park hasn't hosted since 99. It'd be a great fit. It'd be a great fit. As much as I do think it would be, you know, having Fenway Park as one of the most beloved ballparks of all time and one of the most historic ballparks of all time, as much sense as that would make. But like if the All-Star Game in 2023 was in like Toronto or Oakland or, you know, St. Petersburg at Tampa. Like, I'm not going to go to that because I can just go to those stadiums for a traditional game. But, like, if it's in a Las Vegas, a Portland, or a Montreal, the only kind of baseball I'm going to be seeing there is through the All-Star game or the Home Run Derby. And I just think that just causes for, you know, attraction from fans, whether they're casual fans, hardcore fans, fans of fans, you know, team diehards, maybe you love the city of Portland, whatever. You always wanted a baseball team and you finally have the chance to get the closest thing possible because there's rumors that, you know, a team could be relocating to your city, but it's obviously far-fetched. I think this is a awesome opportunity for baseball. I think it's a huge cash grab in the making. And like I said, you do it once, it doesn't work out. You just don't go back. You don't relocate there. You don't expand to that city. Maybe, you again, you try it in Portland, it flops. You go to Las Vegas, and it succeeds. Okay. It works in one city, and it doesn't work in another. So you're going to have the expansion team there. Obviously, you know, I'm kind of going on a, a you know, tangent. But you, you understand what I'm saying, I hope, right? I think it's a great opportunity, and I think that's what baseball should look to do with these three open slots. But they won't. I know they won't. <laughs> I know they won't. And I guess going back to my previous point and saying how cool it would be if the All-Star game was on the 4th of July in 2026. Well, they've already announced the date that it's July 14th. And that is a missed, missed, missed opportunity by Major League Baseball. The 14th is a, oh, that's the wrong month, is a Tuesday. Oh, I was looking at the wrong month myself. When did I say the 4th of July was in 2026? Didn't I say it was like on a Monday? I think I was looking at May. <laughs> I might have been looking at May. Well, I'm stupid. I fumbled. Anyways, they're having it the 14th, which is a Tuesday. I honestly feel like if you start the season a week and a half early, I feel like no one would have a problem having the All-Star game on a Saturday, which is the 4th of July. It's a Saturday. All-Star game. Weekend. 4th of July. 250 years of independence. Oh, my God. Baseball missed, missed, missed an opportunity right there. Oh my gosh, they messed up with that. But that is going to be my little rant about, you know, the all-star game, baseball. I guess I'm still going to be talking about baseball, but I want to know what you think about my potential idea for the all-star game in prospect cities or where I think we could see it next couple all-star games in some cities. Am I just, you know, speaking out of my ass? Am I, you know, just being just, you know, a casual fan, or am I actually making some sense and onto something here? Let me know in the comment section down below if you're watching on YouTube or reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST. I want to hear your thoughts about it. I want to know if I'm just a casual fan speaking nonsense or if I'm actually onto something here, because obviously I think I'm onto something, but I could be, you know, way, you know, way out of my way out of line.
So let me know. And with that, we're going to transition over to some Red Sox trade targets as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, as there's a couple of names that may have surfaced that I want to talk about. So the first name that I want to talk about is Adam Frazier. I don't want to say he's a utility man, but second baseman, outfielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's having a really good season so far. I brought his uh, his baseball reference profile up. He's hitting 321 this year with four, uh, four home runs, 103 hits, and 321 at-bats with 28 RBIs. Obviously, it's kind of hard to generate some RBIs or RBI opportunities, I should say, in Pittsburgh. But 321. He's a career 281 hitter. He's hitting the best baseball he's ever had since his rookie season in 2016. And I really think he'd be a great fit for the Boston Red Sox. And here's why. He plays second base and the outfield. We've seen him at second. I don't know if you have, but I've seen him at least. I've I've watched some Pirates games. I don't know why, but I do. I've seen him play second base. I've seen him play center field. He's pretty good defensively. He's 29 years old. He throws right-handed and he bats left-handed. Oh, he bats left-handed too. Like I said, he's a plus defender. And also, his contract situation is in a very, very good spot. He's making $4.3 or so million this year for the Pirates in his age 29 season. And he has one more year of arbitration. As much as I hate arbitration, it's, it's a thing, so you have to consider it. And in 2022, he'll be age 30 in his third and final year of arbitration where he'll hit the open market or have the potential to hit the open market in his age 31. See, look at that, 31. He's going to be 31 years old when he finally is able to make the big, big bucks. That is just so stupid. I hate that arbitration system. I, I hate it so much. That's so unfair to players because he was, how old was he? He was 24 when he came up into the big leagues. You have to wait those six years. And when he's 31, those six years will be up. And it's just, oh, it's so stupid. Anyways, so he has a year and a half left of team control. He's a lefty hitter. He's hitting a career high thus far, 321 batting average. Like I said, lefty plus defender, versatile. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And, and you can plug him at your leadoff spot, which he's been, I'm pretty sure he's been their leadoff hitter, the Pirates leadoff hitter this whole year so far, and the Red Sox need a leadoff hitter. Kike Hernandez has hit a couple of leadoff home runs this past week or so. Awesome. Do you want to know what his um, batting average is this year? Because you're not going to like it, especially from a leadoff hitter. It's 241. 241. Now, do you want your leadoff hitter, your catalyst, your, you know, someone to set the tempo to be hitting 241? I know I don't. I know I don't. I don't mind Kike Hernandez in like the bottom half of my lineup. I think that would be a great spot for him to be, you know, kind of like a second leadoff hitter where he's the catalyst down there. I could see that. That could work for me. You know, seven, eight, nine, maybe. I just, I really feel like bringing in Adam Frazier would be such a big bonus, a big plus. The Pirates are more than likely going to move him at some point due to the team control, plus he's having such a phenomenal year so far. A playoff contender team is going to be looking for Adam Frazier's services, and the Pirates will be more than happy to move on from him because of their situation, their state right now, being in complete rebuild mode. They traded away Josh Bell during the offseason to the Nationals, so they're in no rush. They're in no rush to be in competitive mode because they're not even close to that. And I really think that this would be a great opportunity for the Red Sox to bring in somebody like Adam Frazier, who's probably a low-cost kind of guy, but he brings a lot to the table. He's basically a better version of Kike Hernandez. That's just how it is. And I really think the Red Sox should optimize on that for all the reasons I've said. And if they don't, I'd probably be a little upset. Someone else that the Red Sox could be interested in, and I'm kind of not on board with this one, is left fielder for the Detroit Tigers, Robbie Grossman. Now, I also brought up his baseball reference profile here, and he's also, he's a switch hitter. He throws left-handed, but he's 31 years old, though, and he's a 223 hitter this year with 10 home runs, with 10 stolen bases, 37 RBIs, and 292 at-bats. Now, let me bring up his contract situation real quick because I'm unfamiliar with it. 
And this year and next year, he's making $5 million a piece for a total of 10 years. He signed a two-year contract for $10 million, obviously guaranteed five in each year. And that's going to bring him to his age 33 season where he'll be an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, 33. I just wanted to double check. I just, I don't know. I mean, his career batting average is 249, so he's underperforming this year. His highest was in 2016 with the Minnesota Twins where he hit 280, and then we saw again in 20, 2018 where he was 273. I just, I just, what what value are you going to get from that? I mean, a switch hitter who's underperforming, he's got a little bit of pop with 10 home runs and a, a few more stolen bags than Adam Frazier. I mean, do not tell me that the switch hitter, the switch hitting is the attractive piece here because you're just lying to yourself. He's older. He's performing less. I just don't think that this makes a lot of sense for the Red Sox, in my humble opinion. I'd much rather them trade a couple more pieces or, you know, say you have two prospects. One's a, you know, 50 out of 80. I'd rather you trade the 55 out of 80 to go get Adam Frazier. You know what I'm saying? Because their scouting system is on a 20 to 80 scale. I can go into that a whole nother day if you're confused. So I know I kind of just threw that out of left field and you might not understand what that means. So I do apologize. I can go into that maybe on Friday's episode as we get closer and closer to the draft. But I just, I just don't think it makes any sense for the Red Sox in all honesty, because he's a 223 hitter this year. And if you want him to be your leadoff guy, well, might as well just keep Kike Hernandez, who's doing 20 points better if that, so I'm a no on Robbie Grossman. I'm a yes on Adam Frazier. But this is uh, somebody right here, a player from the Miami Marlins, and that's Jesus Aguilar. Now, I don't know how confident I would be in in him being traded here. He's 31 years old. He just had his birthday, actually, five days ago. So happy birthday. Um, but... He's hitting 266 with 13 home runs this year, which is pretty solid. Uh, let me bring up his contract situation because that's always something that you need to consider for trades such as this. Come on, come on. I believe he signed a one-year deal for $4.35 million. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year. He'll be 32 next year. It's like, yeah... <laughs> His position on baseball reference is first baseman and pinch hitter. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. Pinch hitter is your position. But anyways, Bobby Dahlbeck has been a, a pretty big disappointment so far this year. He's still kind of learning as things go. And to bring him in, would that kind of demoralize his confidence? Maybe. Probably. But if you kind of you know demote him to Worcester, let him stay down there for like a month or so, bring him back up when he's either performed better improved on what he needs to improve or injury whatever i think that'd be a, a better that'd be a good play because you don't want to just trade for aguilar and then demote doll back i don't think that'd be the way to do it i th feel like you should demote him first then trade for aguilar because i think aguilar does bring something to the table he does bring that pop a little bit of an average at 266 obviously hell of a lot better than what bobby Dahlback's doing he's got 53 rbis and 274 at-bats for the Marlins, who are in last place, but he's doing fairly well. He's going to catch some attention from uh, some teams come this trade deadline if the Marlins want to move him, and I think they probably should get a couple pieces back or whatever it may be as you keep rebuilding because, you know, in all honesty, uh, Jesus Aguilar is not part of your big picture, so might as well take advantage of a playoff hopeful team who's in need of a big bat like Aguilar, a first baseman like him, who can help that hopeful playoff team. I think the Red Sox should, they should pursue him a little bit. Yes, he's a right-handed hitter and, you know, basically controversial to what I've been saying about how the Red Sox need a left-handed bat. But theoretically, he would be replacing Bobby Dahlbeck, who's already a right-handed hitter. Now, going back to Jesus Aguilar's contract, he does, he is eligible for arbitration, his third and final year of arbitration next year. So whoever trades for him, if a team does and the Marlins move him, will get a year and a half of team control where Aguilar will hit the open market in 2023 at the age of 33. Again, I hate that system. I think it's so stupid, but it is what it is. Unfortunately, I think it's something that the Red Sox should strongly consider, especially where Bobby Dahlbeck has been underperforming where he's only hitting 216 this year, 34 RBIs and 10 home runs. I mean, the home run number is nice, but 
big strikeout kind of guy. He's already has 89 strikeouts this year. Aguilar has strikeouts where strikeout only 55. So this is something to strongly consider. You don't really want to ruin or, you know, alter with Bobby Dahlbeck's development, but maybe some time in Worcester. I mean, you did with Franchi Cordero. So maybe a little bit of extra time down in uh, AAA wouldn't hurt. He is 26 years old, Bobby Dahlbeck. So at what point will he finally be ready? If not now, I don't know. I don't know. But right now, it's not working. And if the Red Sox want to make the playoffs, you might have to make this move. Now, I have said in the past to just kind of weather the storm. You can, you can, you can afford to weather the storm with a growing prospect such as Bobby Dahlbeck, who was, I guess, I don't know if he still is, probably Durant at this point, your best prospect. At one time, Dahlbeck was your best prospect. So you really want him to work out, but I just... Getting all these major league at-bats is, yes, very, very beneficial. But you saw Franchi Cordero up here. He was struggling. Then he goes down to AAA, and he's tearing it up down there. I feel like Bobby Dahlbeck could, you know, have some good have some good retooling and have some good adjustments down there, just see better. I don't want to say better, but just see pitching more and have a little bit of less pressure on him. So that's something I would strongly consider if I'm the Boston Red Sox. Is going. I don't know if about Jesus Aguilar, but maybe a first baseman or a corner infielder, utility kind of player who can play first base. Because I know Danny Santana can play. I know Marwin Gonzalez can play first base. But do I really want them to? I mean, I know last time, last episode or last week, I said like, oh, I'm done with you know Marwin Gonzalez. I'm done with Danny Santana. And yes, I am. But if I had to pick one, I want to keep Danny Santana because he has more team control and he is much quicker. He is much, much fast, faster. I mean, I, I like hit a small little ground ball to second base, whatever, and he beats it out. You know, great job. Uh, obviously, starting pitching, obviously, you know, transitioning from the diamond, going to pitching, names like John Gray for the Rockies, Kyle Gibson for the Rangers, who I've mentioned, Matthew Boyd for the Detroit Tigers. You know, I could honestly see the Red Sox trying to make a package deal to acquire both Matthew Boyd and Robbie Grossman from the Tigers. Kind of two birds with one stone kind of move. Please don't do that. Please, please, please do not do that. I know Matthew Boyd has been okay this year. I mean, he's 3-6 and six with a 3-4-4 ERA. The win-loss total is kind of horrific, but look at the ERA. 3-4-4. That's not bad. But then again, if you look at his career, he's a 493 pitcher. So, I mean, and he led the league in home runs gave up in 2019 and in 2020. 2019, he gave up 39 home runs. In 2020, he gave up 15. Led the league both years. That's not a category. You want to lead the league. (laughs) So, please don't trade for Matthew Boyd. Just stay away from the Detroit Tigers. Unless you're trading for Miguel Cabrera, which I know you're not. Because I just think that'd be pretty cool to have him as part of your team. Although the money wouldn't work and the Tigers would never do that. Um, Just stay away from anything, Tigers. Seriously, just please do me that favor. Stay away from anything, Tigers. But like I've said, I I would love Kyle Gibson. He's 6-0 this year with a 1.98 ERA in 16 games started. Like, you can't beat that. I think the Tigers would... I mean, the Tigers. I think the Rangers would be stupid not to trade him at this point. It would make so much sense for them to go out and move him, especially where he's so hot right now. Uh, I keep wanting to say Tigers because I see the T on Kyle Gibson's hat, and I think Tigers, but it's Texas. I think it would be foolish for the Rangers to not move him, especially since they're too in rebuilding mode. It would just make a lot of sense for them to move on from him. And then obviously the last one, John Gray, that I kind of mentioned. 5-6 and six this year with a 3.89 ERA. Rockies clearly in rebuilding mode. Makes a lot of sense that they move on from him. Wouldn't mind to see that. I think he'd be a good, good rotation piece upper echelon of your rotation not your ace but definitely not your four or five guy somewhere in the middle and I really feel like that would help just bolster the depth of the starting rotation because 162 games is a long time and our rotation has been fairly fairly good in terms of durability this year Evaldi hasn't missed a start Eduardo Rodriguez started the season on the IL then came back hasn't missed one as much as you want to say about Garrett Richards Martin Perez they haven't missed a start and also Nick Pavetta, I believe, missed a one start for illness or COVID, I believe it was. So other than that, 
the health and the durability of our rotation has been really solid. But at any moment, shit could hit the fan and you could need starting pitching depth. And as much as I believe in Tanner Huck down in AAA, which I would love him to replace Garrett Richards, having a sixth arm will not be terrible. It's not the worst thing in the world. And yes, I know Chris Sale is coming back, but I've said this countless times on this podcast. I do not want to bank on Chris Sale's return for us to push towards a World Series because him coming off such a major career-changing injury and surgery, you have to be patient with that. You cannot expect him to be the ace again, to be going out there throwing 102 miles an hour for seven, eight innings. You just can't expect that out of him. So I wanted to go slow and easy, start him in the bullpen, fine, have him spot start a couple bit. That just, like I said, that helps with the durability of the rotation. 162 games is a long time. Bank on injuries popping up because they absolutely could, especially as the weather maintains is humidity, it's hotness, because dehydration is a real thing over the course of a season. Those are all the trade targets that I could see the Red Sox pursuing or wouldn't mind pursuing. Like I said, stay away from the Tigers. I just I don't agree with that. But pretty much everyone else on this list, Kyle Gibson, John Gray, Jose Aguilar, and Adam Frazier, I would love to see the Red Sox go out and pursue. I think that would be a really good idea for the team and for the mention, uh, reasons that I mentioned going after those guys. Those are just my thoughts, though. As always, I do want to hear your thoughts about this matter. Would it be a good idea? Would it be a bad idea for the Red Sox to go after these players? Tell me why. Tell me why not. Am I making sense or am I speaking out of my ass? Tell me why. I want to hear it, whether it's in the comments section below or reaching out to me on social media at Merz underscore Boston ST. So the last topic that I want to talk about is something I actually didn't plan on talking about today until I actually thought about what I was listening to on the radio about how that Damian Lillard could be a potential trade target for some teams. And then they were talking about how, oh, you know, would Damian Lillard be a good fit here in Boston? Would you trade Jalen Brown for him? This, this, and that. And I was thinking to myself, no, I wouldn't trade Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard is 31 years old. And Jalen Brown, yes, he's coming off a major wrist injury, but his ceiling has not been hit yet. But anyways, that's besides the point. That is a a conversation for another day. But I actually just, I think it was like the last 20 or so minutes, I had a pause to like go into it and such. I actually came up with a mock trade where the Celtics do acquire Damian Lillard. Holy smokes. I don't know how I pulled this off. Now, just to refresh you, the trade machine only agrees to a trade if the financial aspect and piece of it lines up. So if you only have $20 million in space and you uh, intake 25, they're going to say no, no matter if you're getting 10 draft picks in return or not. If you only have $20 million in space and you're only bringing in 15, and you're you're losing the trade, right? Say you're giving up LeBron James for a second-round draft pick. As long as the money works, they're going to be like, yes, success. So let's keep that in mind. This isn't like a, a simulator where it's like, oh, yes, no, maybe so, whatever. Here is this potential trade that I have came up with. You may think that I'm speaking right out of my rear end where the sun don't shine. But with all of the pieces being moved here, something like this could happen. I honestly think if the Trailblazers really want to move Damian Lillard and kind of have a soft reset, I could see them trading away one Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum. I don't think they would trade both of them away. And if they do, obviously it's a hard reset. I could see them trading McCollum way more easier than Damian Lillard. But me being the Celtics, I'd rather have Damian Lillard than C.J. McCollum. So this is a four-team mock trade between the Boston Celtics, the Portland Trailblazers, the Sacramento Kings, and the Indiana Pacers. Wow. So I have the Celtics acquiring point guard Damian Lillard and a 2024 first-round 
swap for the least favorable pick. Okay. The Portland Trailblazers are acquiring the following. Evan Fournier in a sign-and-trade. Marcus Smart. Semi Ojale. Peyton Pritchard. A 2022 first round top 10 protected by the Sacramento Kings. A 2022 top 10 protected by the Indiana Pacers. A 2023 first round pick straight up from the Celtics. A 2024 first round pick, but it's a more most favorable swap. So there's the swap for the 2024 first round picks. And a 2025 top five protected from the Boston Celtics. That is their haul. For trading away Damian Lillard. Now, in order to acquire that Sacramento Kings and that Indiana Pacers pick, these are the following moves that the Celtics also made. So they gave the Kings Carson Edward and two second round picks for 2022 for that first round pick, top 10 protected. So if the Kings finish under, or I guess within the top 10, they get to keep that pick. Now, would that have to be a top five for the Blazers to make it work? Maybe, but let's not keep in. Let's keep in mind that this is only a mock trade. I am well understanding that some pieces may need to be maneuvered ever so slightly. Where it's a instead of a top ten, it's a top five, a top eight, a top fifteen. But you get the general gist and the general idea of it. Now, could this be something that the Kings would be on board with? I have no freaking idea. But for shit's sake, let's just go with it, okay? So Carson Edwards and two second-round picks are what the Celtics are giving the Kings for a first-round pick, top 10 protected in 2022, that will go to the Portland Trailblazers. The Celtics are sending over Tremont Waters, Grant Williams, and a lottery-protected 2027 first-round pick. And that is what the Pacers will be acquiring in return for the 2022 top 10 protected pick from the Pacers, which will be going to the Blazers, right? Would the Celtics have to do something similar to what they're giving the Pacers to the Kings in order to get that same top 10 protected pick? Maybe, potentially. But if I'm looking at it right now, let me pull it up. NBA draft order. I just had it up. I don't know why I closed the tab out. The Sacramento Kings right now finished ninth, and the Indiana Pacers finished 13th. And the Celtics finished 16th, and they sent it over to Oklahoma. So I kind of feel like Indiana wouldn't mind doing the same thing. They're getting a, to- a lottery-protected first-round pick. I, You're probably anticipating, if you're the Pacers, that that's not going to be a top-10 protected pick with how they have Tatum, Brown, Lillard may not be in the picture at that point, but you have to keep that into consideration. You're also getting back two players, a guard and a forward, that may have an impact on your team. Potential draft picks that really haven't blossomed because of the the clog of draft picks in Boston's recent selections. So they may serve a purpose for the Indiana Pacers, especially if they want to have a soft little you know retooling or a little re- reboot. Right? They may also want to trade Miles Turner. I don't have him involved in this mock trade, but we could absolutely throw him in. He could be going to the Kings, for example, and then the Kings would be sending them a first round. I don't know. There's just so many ways you can manipulate and maneuver a four team trade. So this is the overall trade that I have. Like I said, the trade simulator only accounts for the financial pieces and the financial numbers working. If I am way undervaluing Damian Lillard, they will say yes as long as the math adds up. But I honestly think the only thing I'm worried about is those two top 10 picks from the Pacers and the Kings. Because if you think about it, Damian Lillard is 31 years old. Let me just pull up his Damian Lillard. I just want to pull up his numbers real quick so I can uh, make sure I, I speak with accuracy. Damian Lillard, Damian, I just want to get his contract up too. It's a massive contract. Let's just not, you know, ignore that. He's making this year, his cap hit was $39.3 million. Next year, he's on the books for 42. 
the year after that 45 the year following that 48 almost 49 and then he'll be an unrestricted free agent and in 2025 at the age of 35 and this past year he had a phenomenal season and he's going to continue to keep shooting and he's going to continue to keep scoring 28.8 points 7.5 rebounds 39.1 from three 45 from the field almost 93 from the free throw line so he still has a lot of juice in those legs but like i said he's going to be 31 years old next week and if the blazers kind of want to move a couple pieces around and kind of rebuild a little bit getting damian lillard's contract off your books is the best way to do it because if we look at um cj mccollum's contract no not mosley i don't want cj mosley cj mccollum's contract he has a massive contract as well but if you ask yourself who would you rather have cj mccollum or damian lillard you're going to take damian lillard any day of the week so that's why teams are going to be more apt to trade for damian lillard now mccollum is he signed a four-year 106 point you know and change million dollar contract and his average value is a little over 26. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a lot easier to trade and move than a 40 plus million dollar contract in Damian Lillard. So I think the package that the Blazers are receiving in this mock trade is very well warranted. They get a great on ball defender in Marcus Smart, someone who's tough, physical, can guard multiple positions. Yeah, he may not know what his role is sometimes, but I feel like having that tough, defensive, stouted player would be pretty good. Peyton Pritchard, a young, he just finished his rookie season, ball handler, showed a little bit of good stuff this past year, could be someone that the Blazers could, you know, ride with, you know, moving forward. Semi Ojale, kind of a 3 and D, versatile forward, really not much there. Low contract, you know, low risk, high reward kind of guy, especially if he hits a few threes in a game. And then Evan Fournier, who's going to be, you know, kind of replacing Damian Lillard as the scorer. Obviously, this will depend on what they do with C.J. McCollum. But if your starting lineup is like Smart, Fournier, McCollum, that's not a bad trio of, of guards. And I don't know if you, know, you can call McCollum, I guess, a forward at this point because the league, you know, plays small. That's not bad if you're, you know, kind of retooling, right? You're not gonna. You're not gonna finish sixth in the uh, NBA West Conference. I, I forget the. Uh, they finished sixth, correct? Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Come on, no, that's the East. Yeah, they finished sixth. So they may not finish sixth. With you know the players that they're gonna be running out there, but like look at all those draft picks that they have banked. They'll have two. Oh, I guess I guess if you want to count their own, they'll have three in 2022. Granted, those top ten protection uh, provisions. Then they'll get another in 2023. They'll get a the most favorable swap in 2024. And then just a top five protected in 2025 from the Celtics. That's not bad. And like I said, I know a couple of pieces may need to be adjusted here and there to actually make this make a lot of more sense. I understand that. But from face value, that's not a bad return for someone that's 31 years old making 40 plus million dollars. I, I mean... That's not that bad. I'm telling you, that's not that bad. Like I said, I'm only worried about the return for both the Kings and the Pacers to want to give up a 2022 first round pick with a protection provision. Now, if there's a way that I can trade Tremont Waters, Grant Williams, and a 2027 first round pick, and they'll just shoot over a 2022 unprotected first round pick, sure. Yeah, that works for me. But... I just don't think that's realistic at all. So that's kind of why I put those top 10 provisions in there. And with those top 10 protections, would the Blazers want to make this deal? I don't know. I don't know. That's you know kind of the, the fun that this whole NBA trade machine kind of brings to it. But like I said, I heard Damian Lillard potentially a trade target for the Celtics. And it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Because right now, you don't have a main point guard. You have Peyton Pritchard. You have Marcus Smart. Yeah, Tatum can handle the ball. Yeah, Jalen Brown can handle the ball. Sure, Al Horford can handle the damn ball. But imagine if you bring in Damian Lillard to be your third star. Jalen Brown's going to potentially miss some time to start the year. So you're going to kind of need Tatum, uh, someone alongside Tatum. 
And I know there's more moves to be made for the Celtics. I strongly believe that. I think Brad Stevens knows those guys in that locker room so well. He knows what they need. And now that he's the general manager of the team, I think he's actually going to go out there and try to make something happen. It sucks that they don't have this year's first-round pick to kind of dangle in front of the Blazers in a potential Damian Lillard trade. They had to ship that off with Kemba Walker to the Thunder. That sucks. But you have so much more cap flexibility now because of it. You're able to bring in a Damian Lillard-type player because of that trade. Is it possible that the Celtics go after Damian Lillard? Yeah, I think it's possible. I'm sure they'll make some phone calls there. How likely is it going to happen? I don't know. I, I don't know. And will the Blazers even want to move on from him? I don't know. But they're kind of in the middle of the Western Conference right now. They're kind of in a, a sticky situation, just kind of muddled in the middle. You see the uh, the Jazz, they finished 52-20. and 20. The Suns, they're in the, the NBA Finals. The Clippers are still good. The Mavericks, they might be exploding. The Lakers, I'm sure, will be back next year. But they finished 42-30, and 30, and they were 7th. The West Conference is very deep. Very deep. The Warriors finished ninth at 39-33. Klay Thompson will be back next year. I would expect them to be back in the Western Conference, right in the middle of it. The Spurs, they're young. They're developing. I don't know about them. And the Grizzlies with John Morant, I'm sure they're going to progress. They're going to grow. And they're going to be good for the next foreseeable future. But I don't know about the Trailblazers, especially with both McCollum and Damian Lillard getting older. Plus, you have Carmelo Anthony, who is also getting older himself. I don't. I just don't know if keeping Damian Lillard is worth muddling in the middle, hoping to win a round or so, and then getting bounced after that. When you can move on from him, acquire a couple of good pieces, plus all those draft picks in return on top of that. Too good of a deal to pass up, I think. And that's, well, I guess that's just me looking on the outside in, right? But that is the conversation that I'm going to leave you with. That is the thought I'm going to leave you with for the rest of this week is what would a Damian Lillard trade to the Celtics look like? I'm a strong believer. Do not break up Tatum and Brown. Do whatever you have to do to bring in Damian Lillard or I guess a third star, let's say. If it is Damian Lillard, I could see a potential trade like this. Maybe not a four-team, more maybe so a three-team trade. I would be really surprised if it was just the Celtics and the Blazers in this one, but you never know. So my question to you as I close this episode is, who would you like the Celtics to go after this year? Preferably on the trade market. I'm not going to talk about free agencies, and obviously the draft, they don't have a first-round pick, so that doesn't really matter. In the trade market, who do you want the Celtics to go after? Is it like Miles Turner? Is it CJ McCollum? Damian Lillard? What? Who? Let me know whether it's in the comment section down below on YouTube or if it's through social media at Mervs underscore Boston ST. I want to know. I would love for them to bring in Damian Lillard. It makes so much sense on all fronts. A point guard, a ball handler, a passer, a scorer, be a third star. You need a point guard. You need a passer, you need a ball handler, and you need that third star. It makes too much sense, right? <laughs> it makes too much sense. But I want to know your thoughts and your opinions about it because you've heard mine. So for the rest of the week, let me know who you want the Celtics to go after on the trade market. I would love to hear your thoughts, opinions about the subject. But... That will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really appreciate every single download, listen, and enjoy. I really appreciate you liking the video on YouTube, commenting down below, and also subscribing if you haven't already. That's going to wrap it up. I will see you on Friday for Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and you know that I will always... See ya.
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.